Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and there really isn't a title for the show yet today. This is more or less just something I've been noticing, and um, I've been looking into it more and more and more. And uh, I keep seeing the numbers 333 and 444. So, you know, I'm not one who's big on numerology, but when I start seeing a pattern of numbers appearing over and over again, I start to question it. And some people are more into that, but God can use it to speak to us at times. So according to BibleStudy.org, their overall meaning of multiple number threes, such as 333, 3333, and 3 colon 33, and so on, is a little unclear in scripture. They, however, do play a role in God's covenant with Abraham, Israel's possession of the promised land, and Jesus' relationship with his physical family. Three also plays a role in the Trinity doctrine. Multiple threes are used in biblical discussions of the promised land. Although the phrase, land flowing with milk and honey, is referenced three times previously, such as in Exodus 3, 8, 17, 13, and 5, and Exodus 33, 3, which is triple three, it's the first time that God commands the Israelites to begin their journey to their inheritance. And I'm going to sum this up at the end, so you'll know even where I'm going with that. The phrase milk and honey used 20 times in the Old Testament, describes the exceptional fertility and the beauty of the land God promised. Multiple occurrences of threes also reveal the only proof Jesus offered to Jewish religious leaders testifying that he was the prophesied Messiah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, in like manner the Son of Man shall be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And that's according to Matthew 12.40. So then we get into appearances of multiple threes. In Ezekiel's day, many people loved to hear him speak and teach about God, which we read about in Ezekiel 33, verses 30 through 31. The problem was that although they heard his messages and were entertained by them, they did not practice what they were told. They continued to disobey the Lord and live the same self-centered lifestyle as everyone else. The 33rd verse of Ezekiel 33, 33, 33, is God's declaration that a day of reckoning will come to all those who pretend to love the Lord, but deny him in their hearts and in their works. And when this, that is, the prophecies and teachings Ezekiel pronounced, come to pass, behold, it will come, then they shall know that a prophet has been among them. And that's Ezekiel 33, 33. Multiple number threes play a critical role in Israel's destiny and the blessings the world would receive through Abraham. God, when Abraham is 85, establishes his first covenant with him, and we read about that in Genesis 15. After receiving the promise to make his seed as numerous as the stars and give him and his descendants the promised land, Abraham asks how he will know he will receive it, and that's in verse 8. The Lord's triple three related proof of his intent begins with the following. Take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old. And that's Genesis 15, 9. Abraham took the animals and cut them in half except for the birds and placed them on the ground, such that there was a path between the pieces. After sunset, God confirmed his covenantal promises by having his presence in the form of a smoking furnace and burning lamp travel down the path. And that's Genesis 15, 17. Multiple threes are also tied to God's command for Israel to set up cities of refuge upon taking possession of the promised land. These locations offered a place where those who killed a person would be protected from revenge until it could be determined whether the death was accidental or intentional. The Israelites first divided the land they inherited into three parts running north to south, and that's in Deuteronomy 19.3. Then they designated three refuge cities east of the Jordan River, Golan, Ramoth Gilead, and Bezer, and three west of it, Kadesh, Sechem, and Hebron. The cities were selected so that any Israelite could flee to them in a day or less. Now, when you see a number, you can look to these as reference guides, but I don't go by that. I myself went through the Bible and wanted to see if I could find any verses by combing through the word that spoke to me directly. And this is what I did find. And some interesting ones that I found that speak to me. Well, as you just heard in Mark chapter 3, verse 33 as was stated in the example I read from, is one of them. 
This is when Jesus said, who is my mother or brothers? And this is key to what I've been presenting for a while now, guys. In verse 35, Jesus says, it is those who do the will of God. Those who hear and see and put into action. And this correlates with Ezekiel 33, verses 30 through 32. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another. Everyone says to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth, they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. And, you know, guys, I'm going to get more into that later in the podcast and share a dream I had concerning it. But to continue on in Ezekiel 33, verse 32, indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, and this being the judgments, surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. And let me be clear about what it is the Lord is saying. I'm simply just his messenger. So in essence, when you reject what you're being instructed to do and the ways he is calling you to repent, what you do not see is that when you're rejecting what I tell you, you're rejecting him because you're rejecting the prophet sent ahead to warn you. You know, Amos 3 It's God's word proclaiming the authority of the prophet's message, as well as the punishment for sin, specifically verses 7 through 8, which say, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? So you're being spoken to that the Lord wants you to repent and change your ways. But if you continue to walk adversely to him, How can you say you are his? How can it be that you worship him, but then walk in direct opposition to what God's word commands? Remember, who are the Lord's brothers and sisters? Who is his mother? As Jesus said, it is those who do the will of God. And let me just say, there are many who say they are his, but are not doing his will. And we need to put our hearts in check rather quickly, guys. Those who won't, well, they're stubborn and stiff-necked. You know, Ezekiel 33.3 says, When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. And so, in other words, in everything I have been saying up until now, I've been sounding that alarm that judgment is coming upon a rebellious people, but also his people walking with him. It's a warning for them, you know. Because verse 4 goes on and says, Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm, but ignored it. So the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. So why didn't they listen to the warning? Well, because they were stubborn and went their own way, or maybe it could have been a fear. It could have been many reasons. And, you know, some of you might be wondering where the stubborn and stiff act episode came from that I did just before this one. Well, when I did that, I had already been studying these verses because, like I said at the beginning, I've been seeing 333 and 444 for almost a month now. 333 to a lesser extent, but 444 I'm seeing almost every day now, sometimes in the morning and again in the afternoon. It's become more frequent than, you know, when it originally started at the end of last month. And for the record, the last month being June of 2023 for anyone who listens to this in the future. So moving on, one more verse, Deuteronomy 33.3. Indeed, he loves his people. All his holy ones are in his hands. They follow in his steps and accept his teaching. And so once again, who are his? Those who do the will of God. Those who accept the Lord's ways and walk in them. You cannot claim you're his if your walk is contrary. You can't be going to church once a week and doing your worship and praise, and then you leave And you don't even know how to put the word into practice and you don't even show it in your own life. And you certainly don't treat others well, like if you don't pray for them or if you only want what you want out of something. Remember, the Lord examines the heart. And, you know, this is brought out when we actually take a look at Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. 
who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So again, you can claim to be a Christian all you want, but if your actions are not in line with the Lord's and you don't even know how to show love, mercy, or charity, and you continue to walk in rebellion, you'll reap what you sow. You know, you are what's in your heart and in your mind. You have to ask yourself, is it the Lord that's in your heart and mind? Is he in your actions? Is he in your intentions? Do you seek his will? Do you love him with all your heart, all your soul? Do you do what he commands? Or do you kid yourself and play churchanity, which is a hypocritical version where you lie to yourself and think that just by singing hymns and praises, you can still misbehave and act selfishly and only in your own interests. Because like I said previously, when I talked about waiting on the Lord, we're all being tested on these things right now. And in those tests, it will be determined what due rewards are given. Those who are his and walk in his ways will be given the fruit of their doings, just as those who are not walking in his ways will be given the fruit of their doings. So those who are his, he loves, and they are protected and provided for because they follow in his steps and accept his teachings. Paul even said when he wrote his letters to Timothy, how it would be in the last days when we look at 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 9. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Boy, do I see a lot of ungratefulness. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. So that said, if you aren't sure, you need to take some time out to reflect and search the scriptures. Reflect on your heart. Some of these ways I will be addressing today, but I can't possibly cover all of it, nor should what I say be a crutch for you in not doing your own homework when it comes to searching out the word. You know, a lot of it was taught by the apostles how we're to conduct ourselves. And this is why we study the word so we learn how to walk with the Lord and not according to our flesh, because it is a spiritual training to do what's right, to follow in the Lord's steps so as to not be deceived by a desperately wicked heart walking in your own counsel. We need to be treading carefully as believers, especially now, because attacks, they're on the increase, and we don't want to be giving the devil a foothold in our lives in any way. We want to try to mitigate as much of that as possible. Because those attacks, they're already bad enough as it is, even when you are walking the way you should be. Now that I cover every single example as laid out, on BibleStudy.org in regards to 333, no, but I did lay out the verses that spoke to me when looking through the word, and I'm going to do the same here with 444. And so what does 444 mean? Well, according to what I found at BibleStudy.org, the meaning of 444 says, according to the book, The Appointed Times of Jesus the Messiah, there exists an interesting relationship between the scriptural meaning of the number 444 and Christ's earthly ministry. As our biblical timeline of Jesus' life shows, his ministry began on September 11th in 26 AD, the same day the devil began his 40 days of temptation. This date will prove important for constructing 444. This day fell on a Wednesday, the fourth day of the week. September 11th was not only the day of atonement in 26, it was the start of Jubilee year, and that's according to Luke 4:16 through 21 and also Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2. 
In Jesus' first recorded public address in Nazareth, he links his ministry and message to the special period of liberty and freedom, which occurred every 50th year and was announced on atonement, and that's according to Leviticus 25. September 11th and 26 AD is thus an incredibly rare and momentous day in human history. The fourfold major events that took place or began on this day are the Day of Atonement, the start of the Jubilee year, the start of Jesus' ministry, and the beginning of the devil's efforts to derail God's plan to save humans. Now pay attention to this because, you know, Jesus is about the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus, and there's a lot of temptation going on right now and a lot of people being misled and doing the wrong things, and I'm going to get into that. But to go on. Jesus' public ministry ended on a Wednesday. On the same fourth day of the week, it started. It ceased in 30 AD when he was crucified and died on April 5th, the day portion of Passover as our perfect sacrifice for sin. The Day of Atonement in 26 AD corresponds on the Hebrew calculated calendar used to determine God's annual feast days. To Tishri 10, in the Hebrew year of 3787, Jesus' death in 30 AD corresponds to Nisan 14 in Hebrew year 3790. This means his entire ministry lasted 44 months. Hebrew years 3787 and 3789 had 13 months in them and four days for triple four. If we add in the fact that the Lord's earthly ministry both began and completed on a Wednesday, the fourth day of the week, we get quad four or even four, 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 four. That's five fours in a row in case that didn't sound correct. Now, appearances of number 444. Strong's Concordance is a classic tool that has aided Bible study for many years. Hebrew listing number 444 is the word alak. It is found in only three scriptural places. Its Psalm 53 reference is part of a well-known rebuke against atheists and all those who refuse to acknowledge God exists. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy, and that is a lock. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And that's according to Psalm 53, 1 through 3, which I've quoted that many times before. Now, we get into man and the number 444. Listing 444 in Strong's Greek listing is the word anthropos. It is found 560 times in the King James, and it is the generic word the New Testament writers use to reference humans, according to Matthew 4, 4, 19, 5, 13, etc. It is sometimes found at the beginning of modern words like anthropology, which is the study of humans or anthropomorphic, attributing human attributes to non-humans, things, or entities. That's interesting. So more information on the meaning of 444. Chapter 4 of 2 Kings has 44 verses. That's triple four as well as chapter 4 of Luke. We also see a pattern of 444 in one other set of dates related to Jesus' ministry. It is possible that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and that's according to Matthew 3, 13 through 16 and Mark 1, 9, only four days before atonement in 26 AD and the start of his ministry. On Saturday, April 1st in 30 AD, four days before the Lord's death, God the Father audibly confirms that Christ has been selected to glorify his name and be the perfect lamb to be sacrificed for all sin. And that's in reference to John 12, verses 28 through 32. This in harmony with the Old Testament as Israel was commanded to select a lamb without blemish four days before it would be sacrificed on Passover. And that's according to Exodus 12, verses 1 through 3. The pattern of the number 444 is manifested as there are 44 months and four days between Jesus' baptism and the day God the Father gave his final confirmation that Christ was the one chosen to die on Passover to make our salvation possible. So guys, I said when I was talking about 333 that I looked through to see if any of these spoke to me, and what spoke to me was John 4 verse 44. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. 
that means that the prophecies, testimony of Jesus, and warnings will be rejected. But when you go back to triple three, those who mock, scoff, and reject now or refuse to listen won't be laughing later. You know, Jeremiah 7, 28 through 29 lays it out that people will not listen. Say to them, this is the nation whose people will not obey the Lord their God and who refuse to be taught. Truth has vanished from among them. It is no longer heard on their lips. Shave your head in mourning and weep alone on the mountain. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken this generation that has provoked his fury. You know, is it safe to say that that's pretty much where we are now because we see everything happening around us? And it's interesting, I do live near the mountains and I shave my head and I do weep for the lost because even now there is a lot of denial taking place. You know, if people knew just what was coming and how it's going to affect their day-to-day lives, they'd be preparing now. You'd have unbelievers becoming believers. You'd have backslidden Christians and the apostate church coming to the truth. But we, we really don't see that a whole lot. And I've talked among other believers and they have seen it too. So Jeremiah 44.4 was another verse that spoke to me. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. So remember, the Lord God does nothing without first sending his prophets and watchmen ahead to warn you. But you know, there's a continuation of that in verses 5 and 6. In fact, let me just read it from the beginning. So Jeremiah 44, 4 through 6. However, I have sent you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness, to burn no incense to other gods. So burning incense to other gods. You know, that is, in other words, your sacrifices and true love of your idols, or what you want instead of what the Lord wants. And let's just put it succinctly. America has been weighed in the balance and found wanting, as has the American church. And so you go on in verse 6, So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate, as it is this day. And that's what's coming. You know, in other words, it's a call to repentance. And, you know, let me just tell you, at some point, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will be brought to your knees one way or the other if you continue to play. So you may as well choose voluntarily now. And so how does it all pertain to 444? Well, again, summed up the spirit of prophecy, it's the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, he had his own ministry, he prophesied. That's the meaning of 444. He came to heal, to teach, to prophesy, and he was persecuted so that your sins may be forgiven. For we know it was impossible for man being fallible to keep the law. You know, that was demonstrated in the Garden of Eden when you go back to look at the book of Genesis. But many love to use the whole nobody is perfect excuse as a crutch to do wrong, as if it were a license, you know, to continue to sin. And we need to stop doing that. And that's what I'm being shown with 333 and 444 as it pertains to me, to continue to warn even if the truth will not be received by the hard-hearted. And that is essentially what is taking place now. Persecution of the true prophets, you know, adulteration of the word by omission, and no shame for the sins. You know, you're saved when you believe, but when you come to the Lord, you're supposed to strip off the old ways. And it is a continual process of improving and walking with him. You can't just get saved and then have none of the truth of living in righteousness. So if you truly seek salvation in Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins and you work toward constant improvement to strip off anything you learn he does not approve of. And how do you learn what the Lord does not approve of? Well, you have to spend time in his word, guys. You know, if you're a new believer... And you're coming in late to the game, and or you're maybe a backslidden due to never being taught correctly, or maybe the church hurt you in some way and you walked away years ago. I strongly recommend the Amplified Bible. And the reason for that is certain examples are laid out in parentheses to give the reader knowledge of specifically what the word is addressing or referring to. You know, Jesus is and Jesus was 
the sacrifice for our sins, but that doesn't mean you keep on going on with this mindset that you can do whatever you want just because you're saved and somehow having the mindset that you'll be okay. No, that's not okay. I mean, do you think that after God sent his only one and begotten son to die on that cross and shed his blood for you, that it's somehow okay to keep trampling his blood around all over the place and then nailing him to the cross all over again? Because if you think that, you're in for a rude awakening in what comes. And we read about this in Hebrews 10, specifically verses 22 through 31. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So if we see the day approaching, let me just stop there for a minute. If we see the day approaching, why are we forsaking ourselves together? Or do we, do we, do we go to church on Sunday and just pretend that we love one another, but when we go out into the world now, we don't even talk to one another because we have our phones in our hand and we don't even notice when someone needs help or they need to be lifted up or exhorted or you know, what, what's, ha- what's gone on with the exhorting? This is what I was saying in the last episode about losing the salt. You know, verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Remember, Jesus said, quoting Matthew twelve thirty, He who is not with me, And that means once and for all on my side is against me. And he who does not unequivocally gather with me scatters. What does that mean? That means you don't exhort the proper truth of Jesus Christ. You don't exhort to your brethren. You know, so you think to yourself, well, that's too much for me. Or I don't have the time. Or that interferes with what I want to do. Well, hmm, you know, that's interesting what you want to do. Think about that for a moment. Might want to check your heart to make sure that what you want to do isn't an idol taking precedence over the Lord's will and what God is calling you to do. Because in the time we have left, we should be occupying and making every moment count, especially for the lost and broken souls out there. If you don't, if you don't make that time, if you're not leaning into the Lord's will and what he wants, How is that furthering the kingdom of God, especially if you think you're once saved, always saved, and continue to sin, and then you teach others to do the same? That's scattering abroad. Think about that. Back to Hebrews 10, though, continuing on verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. That means you were witnessed more than by two or three people, and yet you still did not agree with God's law. Going on in verse 29, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. And like I said, that's, you know, you're trampling around the blood, you know, that it was shed to cover your sins. And, you know, it's like if you have no respect for God's law, you certainly don't have any respect for his son. Going on in verse 30, for we know him that hath said, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, Jesus said, quoting Matthew 15, 7, 9, you hypocrites, and that is play actors, pretenders. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, for they teach as doctrines the precepts of men. And that's what I was saying earlier. You know, it's like you're going to church and worshiping, but then you don't act like him once you leave. It's like, oh, I can't be bothered. So do y'all remember in the last podcast when I spoke of being stubborn and stiff-necked that I read from uh, the book of Amos chapter 5? Let's go over verses 18 through 27 again. What sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here, 
You have no idea what you're wishing for. That day will bring darkness, not light. In that day, you will be like a man who runs from a lion, only to meet a bear. Escaping from the bear, he leans his hand against a wall in his house, and he's bitten by a snake. Yes, the day of the Lord will be dark and hopeless, without a ray of joy or hope. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. That is a message to his church right there. Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you served your pagan gods. Sacketh your king god, and Kaiwan your star god. The images you made for yourself. So I will send you into exile. To a land east of Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of heaven's armies. And that continues to this very moment, uh, continuing on. You know, let's take a look at Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 17. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, America, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me. I will not bless it as I said I would. And you know, just a side note right there. When Jonah warned Nineveh that they were under the threat of judgment, and he told the people to repent and you know dress in sackcloth that God was about to destroy it, they repented, and God did not destroy Nineveh. Unfortunately, in America's case, that's not happening. You know, it continues to spout evil like a fountain, and worse. It's evident by actions that most people don't even care. You know, you tell somebody about something and they shrug it off. Go about their lives. Oh, well, nothing I can do. Let me just go enjoy, you know, the world. Let me go into the world and do what I want. I want to get married. I want to go to this. I want to do this. I want to do that. It's like, your priorities are out of whack. But, you know, here's the thing. They'll act like they don't acknowledge it, but then they'll say, we need to pray Second Chronicles 7.14 which says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Can I just ask everybody listening to this that question, have we done that? It's too late. Look at where we are. It can be done on an individual basis, which it's my hope that this podcast inspires that, but how can a land be healed when the people are not humbling themselves in the presence of God and repenting of their sins? How can they repent if they don't even see what they're doing wrong because the majority are afraid to speak up and the churches rarely even preach about sin and that the Lord can heal and deliver those who are in sin if they would only seek his face? Heck, some of these churches deny the Trinity. I mean, think about that for a moment. That's like a slap in the face to the living God. I mean, you see that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and rather than repenting and accepting eternal life, when you realize his love for you and humbly bow before him, you're essentially slapping him in the face and nailing him to the cross all over again. Don't you see how big of a problem that is? Do you care? I mean, do you really love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, or do you just pretend to do that once a week while chasing everything else and having no thought whatsoever as to what actually is pleasing to him and serving him? You know, because Jesus said, quoting Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, before I continue on 
in Jeremiah 18, where I left off a bit ago. Note verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And yet, you have many who will try to say that the warnings the prophets give don't apply because they are Old Testament, and that is yet another falsehood that's going around. Jesus referred to the Old Testament and even said, as the scriptures say, many, many times in the New Testament. Nothing has changed because God does not change. He does the same thing over and over again. He does not change, neither does his law nor his word. Yet somehow, I don't know why, but somehow we act like we can somehow adulterate it and only believe for the good when we continue to walk adversely to what Scripture actually says. And so, because that is going on, here's what's coming. You know, to continue on in Jeremiah 18, verse 11. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. But the people replied, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. So this is what the Lord says. Has anyone ever heard of such a thing, even among the pagan nations? My virgin daughter Israel has done something terrible. Does the snow ever disappear from the mountaintops of Lebanon? Do the cold streams flowing from those distant mountains ever run dry? But my people are not so reliable, for they have deserted me. They burn incense to worthless idols. They have stumbled off the ancient highways and walk in muddy paths. Therefore, their land will become desolate, a monument to their stupidity. All who pass by will be astonished and will shake their heads in amazement. I will scatter my people before their enemies as the east wind scatters dust. And in all their trouble, I will turn my back on them and refuse to notice their distress. That is going to be a very ugly day. You know, I told you that I had a vision where I saw the mockers and scoffers going into captivity. And they themselves were mocked and scoffed by their own captors. And they were treated very badly and they were crying out, but nobody heard them. Nobody was coming to their aid. Nobody was able to do anything. They were in slavery. So going back to what we were talking about in the beginning in relation to 444, you know, being the prophecy and the testimony of Jesus Christ, that is acknowledging who he is, his warnings to a rebellious and unrepentant nation, but the people who do not or will not heed the warnings. The prophet's words were never honored in his own land. And Jesus prophesied, you know, 333, as it speaks to me and what I've been being shown, that's the coming day of reckoning. Will you still have that faith you claim when those judgments come to pass, including persecution of Christians? What's that? I mean, you don't believe that's going to happen? Why shouldn't it when you repetitively forsake and persecute the Lord, all while knowing judgment begins with the church? Ladies and gentlemen, it's finished. Scripture is being fulfilled. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be when Christ returned. And yet, his people continue to think otherwise. This is insanity. It's deception and it's a mockery of the Lord, whether you know it or not. So, you know, when these events begin to happen, surely as they will, and they already are, you'll understand and remember if you continue to refuse the repentance God has been pouring out on you. If you worship the Lord as your Savior and your rock, you know, he is your everything. He is your king. You should be honoring him in truth and being a doer of his word, purifying your heart, abstaining from sin, seeking him, embracing him, not just saying you do it once a week with a fake worship concert and then going into the world and doing whatever. That's madness. And, you know, guys, speaking of madness, I had a dream a few nights ago. I'm going to share this for the first time here today. And at first, I wasn't sure how to perceive this dream, but after praying on it this morning, I believe God has given me the discernment on what it means. So I'm going to go ahead and share it. And so in this dream, it appeared I was in the back of some car or ride service like an Uber. And most people don't know who that, what that is. It's kind of like a taxi service, but it's more of a, you know, on a personal, you get it with an app. But he, the, the driver, he was friendly and everything, but then 
of course, so is the mainstream church, at least on the surface. And I told the driver where I needed to go. Just as I'm giving instructions for all to repent and do right. Then the driver said it'd be a quick trip. Now get this, he began doing loop-de-loops in a parking lot, just going round and round in circles. And after like a minute or so, I said, um, you know, what are you doing? And he'd say, oh, it'll be just a little longer. And he kept doing the donuts after saying that and would repeat himself again, just a little longer. And I remember I was beginning to get impatient because I was tired of the driver doing circles and I could not, he wasn't even trying to go in the right direction. And I remember I was beginning to get impatient because I was tired of the driver doing circles and not even trying to go in the right direction. But he kept saying, oh, we're on our way. We're on our way. And it's like, does he not see? Is he that blind? You know, he's, what's he doing? And I was given a bird's eye view and could see marks on the pavement from all the times he went around in a circle. But yet he seemed like he couldn't find his way no matter what, you know. So. What that signifies to me is where many are. You know, where are they at without even realizing what they're doing? It's like it's this repetition of doing the same thing over and over. And as it was in the dream, so it is now. You know, doing it over and over again, but somehow expecting different results and making excuses for bad behavior. Just a little longer. I'll repent eventually, but just a little longer. You know. Being told or given instructions, but not hearing. Being shown, but not seeing. You know, lack of discernment in such matters, but yet putting on the happy face that all is well. Attending the fake worship, the complacency. And it goes on and on and on, and it's enough to make you sick after a while. You know, imagine being in the back of a car, you have no control over it, and somebody else is driving you around. You just feel like, okay, I want to get out now. I'm getting tired of this. You know, it's almost as though I was being shown through an example down here on earth how the Lord sees it from above, but many who say they are his simply won't. You know, they're in danger of being given over to their sins. They're in danger of being given over to the end times illusion and deception, which will lead to their destruction spiritually. You know, it's almost like the driver was the car and the spiritual driver, it was like it was a spiritual vessel without any real direction. And that's terrifying, guys. That's foolishness, and it's insanity. You know, 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having the seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You know, guys, God loves us so much, and he sent his son to save, and yet we continue not to see how foolish we're acting down here. And yet the Lord, he's being so patient in his grace, so merciful because he doesn't want to see anyone destroyed. He only wants them to come to repentance. You know, confess your sin and accept his ways, not your own. And yet many who claim to be his, they refuse to see it. They refuse to pick up their cross and follow Jesus in true faith. They believe in apostate doctrine. And it's so sad because the warnings are all around us now, but there's this element of pride which is blinding so many, and if only they could see the truth. You know, what truth? What sins? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, and I've shared this on other podcasts before, but I'm going to go over it again because this lays it out, and this is New Testament. There is no excuse for it. You know, this is the sins that are not, they are not, they are an abomination. You know, you are not, you're not going to be allowed into heaven if you are doing these, especially if you're condoning them. And by the way, when you condone, if you go to a church and they're condoning this stuff, that's just as bad as doing it yourself. Did you know that? First Corinthians six, nine through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. That means you put everything else before God, nor adulterers, those who sleep around, those who even, you know, you you may not sleep around. You look at porn, you're cheating on God. You like that more than him. Nor effeminate by perversion. 
nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, you know, whose words are used as a weapon to abuse, insult, humiliate, intimidate, or slander, nor swindlers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. And such were some of you before you believed, but you were washed by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. You were sanctified, set apart for God, and made holy. You were justified, that is declared free of guilt, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit of our God, the source of the believer's new life and changed behavior. So, again, you know, if you belong to a church that condones those sins but never talks about them nor repentance or the truth that the Lord can redeem you or heal you, I'm going to be upfront here when I say you need to walk away and quickly come away from her, my people, because you do not want to be part of that. You know, Jesus welcomes the sinner, but the sin must be turned from. You have to walk away. You have to, you got to get away from it. You got to call on him. He'll heal you. You got to set your sights on him. Jesus wants to be your focus. He wants to give you a new life for eternity. And that is a love like no other. His presence, his peace, his love, that is the true meaning of repentance and that you love him and his salvation and his ways more than that of the world or of your flesh. You know, the time for deciding and being like the driver who ridiculously goes around in circles and says soon is winding down. You know, please hear me today, ladies and gentlemen, because it's not going to be pretty in what comes, and it's going to be much harder to learn of these truths when the foundations are being shaken. And by the way, it is hard enough to put down sin when you first come to the truth. It's going to be even harder in what comes, because once war is coming, once you are figuring out how you're going to eat or where you need to be, that is going to be very difficult. And, you know, another point, and also related to the car with the insane driver doing the circles. There are those who are coming out of the world. God is placing specific people into their lives to mentor them, and they continue to do the donuts repetitively and reject what is being provided, whether to help them spiritually or some sort of provision to get them started. You know, they'll say, oh, thanks, I don't need that. I'll do what the Lord says, though but then won't accept it even when it's right in front of them. You know, it's like he's knocking, the Lord's knocking with an outstretching his hand, and yet it's not being realized. For some, he wants to deliver them out of a certain living situation that is undesirable or is harmful to them. And, you know, that could be very well a Red Sea moment or the start of it for quite a few people. You know, he shows them in small ways how he will provide for them, and yet they won't accept it because they demand it their own way. You know, essentially what they're saying is, I will do what the Lord wants, but with conditions that I have predetermined in my stubborn heart. Ladies and gentlemen, whether you choose to see it or not, our choices are being removed one by one. And it is vitally important that you pay attention because your provision and safety could be in ways or with those you would not initially think. And you're not always going to understand what the Lord is doing. Do you all remember the dream I told you with the railroad tracks that is following the Lord? And when you follow him, he's maneuvering you around the obstacles and the pitfalls and all that. But in that dream, many were held back due to fear or pride or their idols. And that's chasing after a deceived heart instead of the will of God. They're leaning into their own understanding, their own counsel. Like, oh, I'll just help. Oh, I know you're helping me, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to do, do my own thing because I, I can do it myself even though I, I really don't have a way to. All right. You know, that's another parable. The, the railroad track dream, that's another parable of it right there because at some point, it becomes too late. Sometimes there's only going to be one chance. The first chance may be your best bet, but the second one may not be as good because those that God places in our lives or in your life had to move because the door was open and the other person being called refused to walk through it. You know, someone isn't going to continue to stand there holding the door open. 
You know, it'd be like, were you born in a barn? The flies are going to get in. You know, the Lord's not going to have his servants wasting time in the coming seasons on endless circles. There's far too much that needs to get done, guys. So if you're one of the people who are being called and you know it, it is your choice. You have to embrace what the Lord's showing you. And I advise praying, 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 never stop praying and seeking that, asking him to show you, to fill you with the wisdom, you know, repent and seek the Lord and what he is trying to show you needs work or continue on in your stubbornness by going your own way and reaping the consequences of being stubborn. But when the judgment comes, don't blame God. You know, he lets everyone choose. He's not going to interfere with a man's free will, but I caution you to choose wisely and carefully. And, you know, even if you're just the average believer, you should be seeking the Lord with your whole heart and serving him by walking with him in truth. And if you were, you would be recognizing the wrong pattern and repenting from that. You need to be filling yourself with more of the Lord and his word and less of the world. That is how you begin the process of repentance. That is how you begin the process of healing. That is how you find his direction. The kingdom of God is at hand, folks, and this is not the time to be playing games. And it's certainly not the time to be testing God because, you know, it could be any of our last days. We never know. You know, be prudent, not like the foolish virgins, and understand what the Lord wants you to do. That's my advice for today. And that said, that's all I've got for you for now. You know, guys, it's my prayer that this episode shines light on what the Lord wants many to be doing because the valley of decision is here and everyone needs to be treading carefully, not looking for alternate ways out because. That will not bode well after too long, and there's going to be some discomforts. But sometimes you have to go through the discomforts if you want to see progress. It's like teaching a child how to walk. If you think about it, if you're in sin or you're backslidden, you know the Lord, he's having to show you how to walk again. So embrace him. Because if you don't, you're going to remember that you were told this. All right, guys. May Jesus bless you. I thank you for listening. You guys have a great week, okay? And hang in there.